Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. 1785, that's when that was written. Could you imagine that? 1785 by a a man by the name of Robert Robertson. Um, Interesting story. And actually, when we start thinking through the stories of these hymns and spiritual songs, to me, this is probably the most fascinating and honestly, probably the most clear as far as a direction. At eight years old, he lost his dad. And after he lost his dad, his grandmother and grandfather, who were extremely wealthy, disowned the entire family. Started getting into trouble. His mother sent him off to London to join a trade school to learn how to cut hair, a barber. And in that, he got wrapped up with the wrong crowd of people. But he was sitting there at one point, and he went to a service at George Whitfield, of all people, one of the historical theologians and preachers. And he preaches a message on salvation. And it was in that moment that the conversion started happening. Two years later after that, he writes this song, Come Thy Fountain. Now, there's different stories, and we're not sure what to believe because they were written so long ago. But one of the stories is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting. Later on in life, after 30 years of pastoring a church, he started having mental illness or developing a mental illness. And he walked away and wandered away from God. And he's sitting in a carriage, and there's another lady or a woman in the carriage, and she's singing a song. And the lady says, Do you, have you ever heard this song? Have you ever heard this version of this song? And it was, Come Thy Fountain the very song that he wrote, and this is what he says. He said, Madam, I'm the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could feel now as I felt then. And whether that story's true or not, it's a story of redemption. It's a song of redemption. It's a story and a song of restoration. It's a story of coming home. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, but I wanna pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us today. And that we can take a look at these historical songs and we can look at the meanings of these songs and see how they apply hundreds of years later, how they still apply to our lives today. So speak to us through your holy word. Speak to us through me, your vessel today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may have a seat. My favorite line in the song or a favorite kind of part of the song is this. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger. Man, if that's ever been the story of humanity, that's the story of humanity, isn't it? that I'm a stranger. I've walked away from God timeless times. Wandering from the fold of God, he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his presence blood. Hmm. It's interesting, because when I, I knew we were gonna do this song, because we were actually gonna do a different song. We're gonna do um, Great Is Thy Faithfulness today. In the midst of all the changes and everything, we thought, wow, we live in a world that's literally, people are walking away from God at a rapid pace. And my daughter and I think Justin and the rest of the team said, hey, what about Come Thy Fountain? Have you ever thought of that? And, I, and, and I've said this before, and I'm going to be as honest as I can be. I didn't know that song until they started singing it upstairs. Not growing up in church, it wasn't a song. How many people know that song or have heard that song or sang it? So a lot of people uh, that have been involved in church. Well, I didn't know that, and I didn't know the story behind it, so it was intriguing to me. But as we were kind of going through, working on what we were going to talk about, a story in the Bible that I am familiar with came to my mind. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's the son that walked away from a father that loved him and cared about him. And it's a story about, about how God, even when we walk away from him, there's still a place and a way we can come back. And when I found out so many times, people, they fall away from grace and they feel like they, there, there's no way they can ever come back, that what they've, did, you know, what they've done in their past is so bad. And that's the exact opposite of everything. 
It's interesting because I was in the Dominican Republic. It's been seven or eight years ago. Uh, and if you don't, if you've never been, they speak Spanish down there. And my Spanish is, well, I know taco and burrito. That's the extent of my Spanish. I know hola and gracias. Um, you want to hear something funny? I was at a Japanese restaurant a couple weeks ago. And the lady brought me stuff and I said, gracias. And she looked at me like, what? It's because the only words I know. But I was down in the Dominican Republic and I was actually preaching a message about Peter being restored. And I ended with the story of the prodigal son. And I could tell there was this one guy, he was sitting there, he had tears flowing down his eyes. And I could tell there was something visually and visibly going on with this guy. And so after the service, he came walking up to me and he said, Pastor Bobby, in perfect English, by the way, Pastor Bobby, I need to tell you something. I've been away from God for 10 years. I actually denounced my faith 10 years ago. He said, but today when you were telling me the story, all I can think of is that God's provided a way for me to come home. Two weeks before that, I spoke the same message here at this church. And a lady was sitting in the back. She came up to me afterwards. There again, I could see there was something going on with her. She walked up to me. She said, Pastor Bobby, you don't know me. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I ran away from home and I started doing things that I shouldn't do. She was actually, and, and very kind of openly, she was telling me that she was a stripper. And so she's doing all that. And then she said, Bobby, but it was the very first time that I felt the grace of God in my life. And today, I'm home. I don't know how many people were here the very first service we had in this building. We had a bunch of people holding cardboard uh, signs up about their testimonies. They were telling their stories of their life. And I was the last person to walk up and my sign literally says, I found a home. It's because when we're in the family of God, even when we walk away from it, when we come back and we decide that we need Christ as the center of our lives, there's always a place we can call home. And that's the amazing story that we're gonna look at today. And it's interesting because I was reading through a magazine this week and there was a quote from Brad Pitt. Now, I don't think Brad Pitt's a theologian, nor do I pay much attention to what he really thinks about world events. But it's one of those deals, this is what he wrote, and it was in reference to the story. They were asking him about religion. And it was in, sto in the story uh, of the prodigal son. And he said, it, the prodigal son is a story which says, if you go out and you try to find your own voice and find what works for you and, and it makes sense for you, then you are going to be destroyed and you will be humbled and you will not be alive again until you come home to the father's way. And in this way he said, to him, to me, the prodigal son is just an authoritarian tale told to keep people in line. Jesus didn't tell the story to scare people. It wasn't about a story of a young man finding his way. It was a story about a young man losing his way. It was a story that every one of us in this room could relate to at some point or another in our lives. And maybe you haven't felt like you've wandered very far. Guarantee you, 30 years, I've wandered. I've come back, I've wandered. It's the extent or the degree that I've wandered before. But it's one of those deals where at different times of our lives, we've all questioned our faith. I sat up here yesterday. We had a funeral for a soldier yesterday. And he passed away in a really kind of weird way. And I was writing down some notes yesterday, knowing that I was going to be speaking at this funeral. And as I was writing down notes, I was writing down things that I don't understand. And there's lots of things in this world I don't understand. Somebody say amen to that. I don't understand why Georgia can't win a couple national championships. I want to believe you, brother. I really do. I was watching the Braves last night. I was sitting there going, why can't we win big early and not wait to the last innings? 
And then I got a little bit more serious. Why, why do people get divorced? Why do people make stupid decisions? Why? And there's lots of things in this world I don't understand. I don't understand why we can't get along. I, I just can't. I can't understand. We can't even get along in churches. How are we going to get along in the world? I, I, I don't understand. But then I started writing things I do understand. And I'm going to tell you something that I do understand. I understand that God's grace is enough that when we walk away, there's always a way home. There's always a way we can come back. And there's always a God waiting for us, open arms. And that's the story of the prodigal son. And every one of us can fit into that category at some point. I'm going to read a long passage of scripture. Then we're going to break it down. I'm just going to give you five statements today. And then we're going to pray and then we're going to allow God to do what he wants to do. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, this is what it says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when they had spent everything, when he had spent everything, a severe famine across, uh, arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and some versions of the Bible say when he came to his senses, and think about that, it's when we come to our senses when we realize we have this need for God. So he said this, but when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found and they began to celebrate. Now, just put it on pause because this is where all of a sudden we see the older son kind of come into the picture. And we're not going to talk about the older son. There's several layers and it's the way the church responds a lot of times when they're around sinners. It's the way we respond that we feel like they're not getting what they deserve. But that's for another day. Because today what I want to talk about is how we can come back home when we're a long way off. And let me tell you, if you're not there now, or maybe you are there now, you probably know somebody or have somebody in your family that's a far away from God. And this, I believe, is a scripture that we can take and pray over and talk through and learn about how to come back to God. And here's the first thing I want every one of us to get. And it's maybe the most important of all things. Even if your motives, even if my motives are wrong, start your way back. Do you notice this? He, like and a lot of people, like they, they, the, the prodigal's decision to return to his father wasn't initiated by a righteous realization. It was a selfish ambition because he had run out of food and he had run out of money. Now, let me ask a question. How many times have you ever been asked in your lifetime, or maybe you've asked your kids, are you sorry because you got caught or are you sorry because you displeased mom or dad? Who cares? I'm gonna be honest with you today. If my dad, who is walking this campus, was to ask me right now that question about 100% of the things I did in my past, it would be, I was sorry I got caught. That's my final answer. But you know what it led to? It led to reconciliation with my father. And so it doesn't really make a difference what our motives are. 
People go, blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't make a difference because what needs to happen is what happened to this young man. He hits a point in his life. And let's be honest, we all have been there. We've all been at that position where we've been down an hour. We've had this rock bottom experience. We all get to the point in our lives where we're sorry because we got caught, not because we displeased the father. And it was this rock bottom experience that led this man on the road back to him. If it wasn't for that moment where he was hungry and poor, he probably would have never gone back. He wasn't sorry because he took all his inheritance. He wasn't sorry that he displeased the father. He was hungry and out of food and got to the point where he was sleeping with pigs. Now, I don't know about you, but as I study the Bible, Jewish people and pigs don't go along. They weren't allowed to eat them. They surely weren't allowed to sleep with them. And here he's at the lowest point of his life. And maybe, just maybe, maybe that's what God needs to get us to sometimes. Maybe it's the lowest point of our lives that take us to the place where we can finally look up and see the loving grace of the Father. It's those low moments. Oh, I love what it says in verse 16. It says, he was a long way or longing to be fed with the pods that the pig ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he realized, can you imagine this conversation like with himself? It's like, I have lost everything. I have nothing left. What, what was I thinking? You ever had that moment in your life? What was I thinking? How, how did I make that decision? Bonehead. Okay, God's the only one who speaks to me that way. Bonehead. And then it says, but when he came to himself, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? So the first thing is, who cares what the motives are? Start making your way back. You may not have the purest motives. Whoever you're you know, praying for may not have the purest motives, but at least they're starting their way back to them, which leads me to the next one. If we're gonna be right with the Father and come back to the Father, we're gonna have a place to come home to, take ownership of your situation. There is nothing worse than blame shifting on somebody else. Now, I had the advantage of having kids that were really close together, three kids in a two-year period of time. Actually, my wife had three kids in a two-year period of time. I watched a lot of it happen. But it was, I had a benefit, I had two kids at once. We had twins, right? And, I, and I, 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 still to this day, it's funny watching them interact. They have this weird sense of what's going on with each other. But I remember when they were small, okay, who did that? And they would both point at each other. It's like, it was like, it was in Brit, like, like, like who did that? And Courtney would point at Lindsay and Lindsay would point at, and it was, oh, I mean, he did it. And then when they got smart, they blamed it on the older sister. They, they, they teamed up on her. And it was one of those deals where, because in our lives, we are so, it's, you know what's normal? Blame somebody else for your problems. That struggle that you have, I'm gonna blame it on somebody else. It's the economy's fault. He didn't say this was my dad's fault. He didn't give me enough money. If you would have given me just, I should have gotten some of the other inheritance too because I'm the favorite son. He showed that by giving what was mine. He should have just given me a little bit. He didn't say that. He didn't say in his, you know, it's my dad's fault. He should have never let me go. I'm sure that his dad was going, you know what's getting, like, don't do this. He could have said, you know something? It's my big brother's fault. It's all the noogies he gave me all through my life. It's all the times he gave me a wedgie. That's why I'm the way I am. That's why I had to run off. 
He could have said the fault was the economy. He could have said it was the culture. He could have said it was fair weather friends. He could have said all these different things. But you know what he did? He said the problems, and here's the deal. The problems, his problems weren't a result of bad luck. They were bad choices. And at some point in our lives, we have to understand that our problems are not caused by bad luck. They're caused by bad choices. Sometimes it's your bad choices. Sometimes it's my bad choices. 18, verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What a valuable lesson right here. I want you to do, there's a little homework today. I want you to go home and I want you to read the 51st Psalm. It's David's cry to God. And hear my cry, O God, attending to my prayers from the ends of the earth while I cry and my heart is overwhelmed. But he goes like this. He goes, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. And I've done what's evil in your sight. And in our lives, that's the first place we gotta go. That's why this story is so powerful. The first person, he's rehearsing in his mind right here. I've got to tell my father that I've sinned against him. I've got to take ownership. And that's what he says. And that's what we need to do. We need to take ownership for our lives. I'm here. I'm in this situation because of a bad decision. I'm in this situation because of a problem that I've had. I'm in this situation right now. And then what you do is you pick yourself up and you start walking. And that leads us to the next idea. In order for us to get right and come home, we have to put space between you and your past. One of my best friends has struggled for years with alcoholism. You know what his occupation is? A bartender. I've told him over and over and over and over again, until you put some space between you and that occupation, until you're that space between that and that problem, you're always gonna struggle with it. And let me tell you where it starts. It starts right here today. Watch, while the prodigal was still far off, he was, in, he was in another land, a distant country, he rehearsed what he was gonna say to his father. Did y'all catch that? He, he literally says in verse 18, he says, Father, I've sinned against you. He's not talking to his dad yet. He's, he's practicing it. He's thinking about what's happening. He's thinking about what he's gonna say to his father. But it's still why he's way over here. Here's a pretty interesting little question here. What was the difference between the rehearsal and the performance? His rehearsal, sitting there in the pig pen, going, I've sinned against my father, and the actual performance when he gets in front of his, in front of his father's face. You know what the difference is? Geography. He was far away from the struggle. He had walked away from the problem. And when we continue to dwell with the problem, when we're keeping ourselves in the situation, you know what the results are gonna be? Exactly. I had a friend of mine tell me this. The path that you're on is the path that's gonna lead you right to where you're gonna go. Think about that for a second. The path that you're on is the exact path that's gonna lead you to right where you're gonna go. If you don't like the direction, change the location then. If you don't like the direction your life's going, change the location. Say, okay, I'm gonna change my path and I'm gonna start going in another direction. I've seen, and be honest with you, I've been a prodigal a few times. And during those times, I finally came to my senses. I've realized that I've walked away from my father. And I'll be honest with you, I've had those moments in the last 17 years that I've just, I've just walked, I've tried to do things in my own power, in my own struggle. I had to actually leave the distant country and point myself in a new direction. Here's what happens. Anybody ever been to like Haiti? Anybody ever been to Haiti? I've been to Haiti a bunch of times. One of the things that you'll notice in um, a lot of foreign lands, I don't know if it's like this in Kenya or not, but there's a smell in Haiti. 
that you can't get off your clothes. Like when you get off at Port-au-Prince, you get off the airplane, you smell it. It smells like burnt everything. It, it smells like burnt tire. It, it smells like burnt flesh. It sounds, it's, it's, it's so, so, and I love Haiti. It's such a nasty, nasty. And for four, five, six, seven days, that's all you smell. But I can tell you this, it takes me months, sometimes many months before I lose that smell in my nose. There's moments where I said, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting there, I was actually talking to Bill Howard, our missionary from Haiti. And as I was talking to him, that smell popped up and it was like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in Haiti. You know what the problem with us and sin is we, we need to remember what the pig pen smelled like. That's what kept him away from the pig pen because he, he was reminded what the pig pen smelled like. My, my wife grew up on a farm. Gina grew up on a farm in Rennes, Georgia, and they had pigs. And I remember going down there 30 years ago when we first got married, years after they had pigs in any of the stalls. And you know what you could still smell? Pigs. You want to get away from your problem? Remind yourself what that pig pen smells like every once in a while. Remind, you, remind yourself what it was like to be an alcoholic and waking up next to the toilet, throwing up on it. Or remind yourself on that bad trip that you had that got you. This, or remind yourself of that relationship that took you the wrong direction. Or remind yourself, we need to be reminded every once in a while what the pig pen smells like. And that's what was happening here. He was rehearsing, but he was getting ready to leave the distant country. He was rehearsing because he wanted to stand in front of his father and have that honest conversation, geography. It's a lot of times, here's the deal. We can leave it and still remember it. We can be reminded of the situation, which leads me to the next thing. When you return to God, you return as a son or a daughter, not a hired hand. And so many times I've seen people, and I don't know why it happens, but I see people come back to Christ after being gone for a while, and they almost feel like they're second class. It's like, I've done something so wrong and so bad. God will never love me. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. Luke chapter 15, there's a really cool kind of cultural thing that goes on here. He says in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. Hey, you remember talking about this for about three weeks in a row? That compassion part? Why did Jesus do miracles? The story of the father that has a son coming back, is a story of compassion again. We see this countless times throughout Scripture. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, do you notice the father doesn't even address it? The father doesn't go, oh, no, no, hold on a second. Like, here's the deal. You're right. You're right. You don't, aren't, you don't deserve anything. Um, how many fathers do we have here in the room? Raise your hand if you're a father. Some of you are like, I don't know. I want you to think about something. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. And now we're going to begin to celebrate. There's three types of workers if you see in the Bible. There's a bond slave, which there is no strings attached. This person literally gives their life to them. There's no money involved, but they are at the beck and call of the master, master of that house. And then there's a second, uh, it's, they were household servants. 
And they had a little bit more liberty. They can leave the house. And then it was the third tier. It was hired men. They lived in the village. They would come up. They'd do their work. And they go back. And they got received a pay. He was saying, listen, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy of being the lowest. Because the first two at least get to live in the house with the father. They get to eat at the same table with the father. The other ones just come and go. They get a paycheck. And that's all they're, that's all they're worth. And he's saying, listen, I understand that my worth is the lowest of the low. And I'm willing to accept that. Now, if I had been the dad... Fathers, if, if I had been the dad and the son walks up to me, it would have not happened like this. It would have been, hey, good to have you back. You're on six-month probation. Come on, right? I want you to write an essay. I want you to write an essay why you'll never leave home again, okay? We're gonna take some pictures. We're gonna get some Polaroids. You're gonna put them up in your bedroom, or remind you of the pig pen. Can you take us back to that plate, right? Because that's how we are. That's how humans are. We want to make sure, like, like, listen, you wait till your mom gets home. You think you're getting a bad night. She... Right? We would, we would want to put a little fear in the person. That's not what happens, though. He literally says, you want to talk about an act of grace? He said... I'm going to give you a robe. You know what the robe is? Family authority. I'm going to put the robe because you're my son and I love you and I care about you. I want you to know that you're being drawn back into the love of the father. Your name in this house is still good. I'm going to put this robe on you. And then he says, I'm going to give you the family ring. The family ring was authority. And if a family of providence, uh, providence walked around and they saw that insignia ring on there, they were given special treatments in the village. He goes, I'm going to give you my ring. And the greatest of all, he says, I'm going to give some shoes to the boy because only the slaves and the servants of the house had no shoes. So he put shoes on his feet saying, listen, I want you to know you're more than a slave. You're more than a servant. You're more than a hired hand. You're my son. Welcome home. See, there's a difference between God and people. It's also this, that's the difference. And there's also a difference between Christianity and religion. What would you have expected from the father is to see the father holding his arms like this going, we'll see. But what we would have expected to see would be uh, the father give us a lecture. What we would have expected was, you better mean business this time. Or, or here's the deal. This is what, these are the hoops you have to, but that's not what he did. This was amazing grace demonstrated right here. He said, here's your place. Come back to your room. Here's your home. I'm your dad. Here's your mom. We're having a party right now. He was elevated to the status of honor and privilege. Romans chapter two tells us about the kindness of the father. It says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Hey, I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with somebody. And they said, Bobby, and they were leaving Journey, and I said goodbye to them. You don't preach on hellfire and brimstone enough, Bobby. I want to go out of church feeling bad. Huh? Yeah, I don't feel convicted when I walked out here. I don't feel like, I want to feel like I'm dirty. I'm like, What? Yeah, I want you to preach the God of the Old Testament, that, that hellfire and brimstone. 
So I started doing some studying. Do you know what the God of the Old Testament, and here's the deal, it's like there's two different deities. There's the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same one. 66 books of the Bible that talk about hope of the Father and talk about grace and mercy and restoration. The entire Bible is leading up to a moment where Jesus Christ dies on a cross, the star of heaven, the famous one, that, that, the reason that everything's lining up and it's leading to that particular moment of grace and mercy. There is no Old Testament God in the New Testament. It's the same God and it's a God of love and mercy. It's a God that, that, that embraces his children when they walk away. And until we figure that out, listen, it's just religion. Religion is what I can do, what I can do, what I can do. And I'm telling you, I'm in a relationship. I'm in a love affair with Jesus because it's what's already been done. He did it on the cross. He died for me. There's nothing I need to do but love on him and make sure that I come back to him when I fall away. Okay. That's, that's what the story's about. If you want to know that, that's what the story's about. It's his loving kindness that was intended to lead me to repentance. Whew. Psalms 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Somebody say amen to that. Oh my gosh. If I had to go to the cross for every one of my, well, there wouldn't be any of me left. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That's what this story is about. I'm sorry, Brad Pitt. You got it all wrong. It's not a God that hates you. It's a God that loves you. The last thing is this. We have a father that is waiting and watching for us to come home. If you can visualize this for a minute, I feel like the father's sitting on the porch for some of us. And he's been waiting for some of us to come home. And I want you to know, some of you are going, Bobby, you don't know how far, I don't know how far, you, but I know how far I've come from. Paul says it like this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, which I am the worst. So you fall in behind Paul somehow or another. And if he can save Paul, a killer of Christians, he can surely save us, can he? The father is waiting and watching for us to come home. This is my favorite part of the story. And he arose and he came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and, run and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I've made it real clear that my favorite day of the week is Sundays. I love doing this, but my favorite night of the week is Sunday nights. I love when my kids come home. And it's not about a location. It's not when we lived in, you know, on Riders Way or Buxton Lane or where we live up at Cake Creek now. It, it, there's something about our home. And our home, I was going to take a picture of this, has these two big windows that you can sit and we designed the kitchen so we could do this. It's this huge bar that we can um, hold about 10 people and we can sit around the table and we can do family stuff. And usually on Sunday nights, I cook, my, me and my wife, we prep the food and I, 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 it's, one of, it's my language of love. I love to cook. And so I, I, I long, and I sit there. And if you've ever been on my road, which I'm not telling you where I live, I have a dead end, a cul-de-sac. And everybody misses the right-hand turn that's on the other corner of my house. So they fly past and we go one, two, three, and you'll see him fly back. But Sunday nights, I sit down at that bar and I wait to see either my daughter's kind of ivory colored car and I shine, my, my smile gets real big 
And I know for the next couple hours, we're going to have family dinner. And life's going to be somewhat normal in the midst of all the craziness, right? And it's a safe place. And I sit there and I wait on them. Or I know there's going to be a little black car, a little blue Pathfinder come by. And then about 6.30, 6.45, well, 7 o'clock, my oldest is always late. We'll be having a conversation. I think that's how the father, not this father, the heavenly father feels. He's sitting on the porch and he's just waiting for you to come. He's waiting for you to walk up and get on the porch and just say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I failed. I'm far from you. I've sinned against you. I don't know what my place will be when I come back to you, but anything's got to be better than the situation I'm in right now. And what I love most about the story is the father didn't stay on the porch, did he? The Bible says the father, when he saw his son afar off, he ran to him. All God wants us to do is take that first couple steps back to him. Change our geography, get out of the pig pen and make our way back to him. And what'll happen at that moment is God will embrace you. I learned something this week by a sign. I learned the real story of redemption. Can I tell you the story of redemption today? I'm gonna make it easy for everybody. Lost dog sign. And the owner put up there, large, large amounts of money if you can return this dog. And then he started explaining the dog. It had three legs, it was missing a leg. It had one eye that was blind, could barely see out of the other one, missing an ear, okay? It was deaf. I mean, he went into great detail explaining this dog. This poor dog had been neutered trying to jump a fence. And the end of the bottom of the sign said, the dog answers to the name Lucky. That's not what we would call the dog. But you know what? In a certain respect, that dog went through a mess. And that dog was kind of lucky. You know why? Because it had a master that was willing to put up lots of money to get that dog, that mess of a dog back. That's redemption. That's redemption. That we are messed up. While we were yet sinners, Christ came into the world to save us. Let's pray. God, as I'm thinking about that song, I'm thinking about the story of Robert Robertson and how he had served you for 30 years but wandered away. And I have to believe, I have to believe there was a moment that you drew him back. He knew the redemption story. He wrote about it. The verse that says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be, 
Let the grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. I'll take it and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. God, that's words of redemption. And I don't know what people are going through in this room right here, but I know this, that you're a God that extends grace and mercy and open arms to anyone. So today, God, in this room, maybe there's people that have wandered off, and today, just right this moment, people are crying out to you. Not to me, not to a church. They're crying out to you. That because of the circumstances in their lives, because of the circumstances they're going through, they've wandered. But today, you're calling back. You're calling all of us back. You're calling all of us to a deeper relationship with the Father. And regardless of how big or how far away or how smelly that pig pen is, God, you are still a God that draws us to you. Let us understand that in a way we've never understood through this amazing song of restoration and redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net. 